Welcome to the Tune Into Yourself podcast. This is your host, Beverly Foster Hines. This program is for persons who want to make decisions which are in alignment with their true selves and which can take them to the next level. In this episode, we chat with Mr. Joel Wilson, International Elite Cricket Empire, one of only 12 in the world. Itself. Should be. The biggest fan should be itself. Yeah, you should you should be walking off because, uh, if you'll allow me, I went to a, a program mm-hmm. put on by Leroy Clark maybe right. 25 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, 30 years ago. I can't remember the exact date. But what stood out with me in that was that he was saying that in some professions, you must hear your own applause. Mm. He said you, you, the, the, the crowd is not going to be in certain professions, and I view cricket as one of those. Right. Uh, the crowd is not going to acknowledge that you, you had an outstanding game. Nobody's, mm-hmm. Nobody does that. Our guest today is Mr. Joel Wilson. He's an ICC Elite Empire International Cricket Council. Uh, Joel, welcome. Thanks, Beverly. Thanks for having me on your program. Yes, I'm, I'm glad that you accepted the invitation. I was wondering, Joel, you know, as a little boy growing up, did you ever dream that you would be an ICC Elite Empire? What were your dreams of as growing up as a little boy? Well, definitely not an ICC elite umpire. Um, there were a couple of things. Uh, one, one thing as a little boy to play cricket for the West Indies. Um, we all would listen on the radio and watch on television our superstars. And I grew up in an era of a lot of superstars in the late, you know, middle 70s, 80s and so on. West Indies dominated world cricket and um, they were like, like cricket and God stars. Yes. So that was that was one. And as I got older, um, I thought about being a pilot, you know, planes and so on. Started to, uh, I started to get curious about them and wanting to fly, and so on. And of course, the only way you can fly is to go into a plane and you know become a pilot and stuff. So, as far as an ICC elite umpire, no, that that never entered <laughs> into your realm. As a young adult, in the, early 20s and so on that never happened okay along your journey to be the icc elite empire give us some career highlights you know from from key things that that you that you can you can pinpoint on your journey to be an icc elite empire because they are not there are not many of you that's hence you with elite. Yeah, there are only 12 at any given time. So every year, there are just 12 of us. Um, and a lot of us have had renewed contracts. For some of us have for 10 years and so on. But to answer your question as it relates to highlights, um, it's difficult for individuals in this part of the world to crack into such uh, a, 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 you know, an elite group. And... Uh, prior to getting there, I was selected for two Cricket World Cup, 50 over World Cups, one in Australia in 2015 and last year in England uh, in 2019, as well as uh, part of the World Group that did the World T20 in India in 2016. So they immediately pop out as uh, highlights. Um, I've also been involved in uh, four Ashes uh, matches. Uh, the Ashes series is a series played between England and Australia. Um, 
cricket fans will know about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably one of the, the most uh, watched series when, when it comes to cricket. And it dates back uh, into the beginning of time, as far as cricket is concerned, in relation to burning of the stumps and it being put into a little urn and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would pick those, those, those two. Well, you could say three World Cups, including the T20 World Cup of 2016, mm-hmm. and the four Ashes Test match I've done. All of that leading up to my selection last year, June, uh, on the Elite Panel. So, I would say those were some of the highlights coming up as as I started to to rise in the ladder, so to speak, of mm-hmm. world umpiring. Right. And, I mean, while I do watch cricket, um, I wouldn't consider myself an avid cricket person. And umpiring could be a very, to me, a very lonely, <laughs> a very lonely um, position because you're out there and you're making decisions. And sometimes... You know, not everybody likes the decisions you make, etc. Yes. You know, so I, I consider it to be a very, I don't know, challenging, challenging position. On that, on that journey, you know, from here you would have you would have been an empire in Trinidad initially. I mean, how how did you how did it move from Trinidad to the international stage? Well, first of all, in Trinidad, you start off in your zone. So Trinidad is, Trinidad's cricket is divided into eight zones in Tobago. So to start in your zone, uh, you must now impress in your zone to be put onto what we call a national panel. Um, mm-hmm. Once you arrive on that national panel, you must then be worthy enough or impress the selectors enough to then merit a place on your regional panel, which is your Sydney's panel. And then there, uh, the IC will stack at you and you must be enough now to make IC films their four international place international panel to be looked at further. And then of course, if you're good enough, then selected for the elite panel once a vacancy arises and you are you are good enough. So the journey is for for, for especially for us here in the West Indies, a very long journey. Mm-hmm. In fact, I started umpiring in nineteen ninety-five. Mm. And it took me 25 years, uh, Beverly, to arrive at the elite panel. So it's a long wow. journey. Wow, okay. And mm. there, <laughs> there's a, there was a lot of um, things that I would say, uh, probably God intervened. Well, not probably, I think he did. And mm. um, sorted out a number of things. For instance, when I arrived on the international, um, the regional panel, uh, there were 36 persons being selected, six from each territory, so to speak, in the West Indies. And... The, I would say the minute that I arrived, I arrived in 2008, and by 2010, ICC had come to say to Westernese that is a ridiculous system and doesn't give your umpires the opportunity to add selectors. So it was removed from 36 to 12, to 12 regional umpires, and I was oh. chosen that first ever reviewing of the panel into that 12. Mm-hmm. Um, in between that, the Westernese uh, cricket, West, cricket Westernese was looking at and in those days, young umpires to start to move them forward and uh, started an exchange program with Bangladesh and England. And I was the second individual, second Trinidadian, and this is from the region, to mm-hmm. be sent on those exchange programs, first to England in 2010 and then to Bangladesh in 2011 to gain international experience as we were trying to put forward our 
best umpires to ICC to say, look at look at these guys. You think they are worthy of going forward? Mm-hmm. So it is a long journey, um, and there's a lot of steps between. These steps can become very frustrating for a young person. When mm-hmm. I joined umpiring, I was 28, right, um, and never thought that you know, in, uh, as I approached and uh, entered my 50s, would be, um, you know, be among those considered to be some of the best in the world. Mm. So it is a long journey and, and you know, I, I think those who want to get into it and thinking and listening to us here today mm-hmm. um, would have to be very patient, especially from a part of the world where uh, the numbers are small, the amount of quick officiate is not large as well. So for instance, like an umpire in England, he would do, let's say, 40 first class games a year. Our best West Indies match official will do probably five. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh-huh. the 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 the, <laughs> the drastic change between let's say because in England is more of a professional setup in cricket where their clubs play actual professional cricket. In right. West Indies we are sort of semi-professional, and as a result of that, and because of a lack of funds and the amount of travel involved from island to island, island. And the logistics uh-huh. involved, uh-huh. you find here yeah, it's very difficult for um, the West Indies cricket board to find all the necessary funds to have a very long season as they do in England, as an example. All right. I, I understand. I understand. Usually, when you think about cricket and you think about the players, you know, they will have a routine where they will prepare themselves physically, um, as with any sport, you know, to be out there. As an empire, you know, what sort of preparation... Um, do you have to, to to put in place in order for you to have both the physical and I would want to dare say mental fortitude to be out there on that um field? You know, how, how do you prepare yourself to be out there? The mental game is the most important part of our game, I think. Um, uh, yes, physical is important. I'll get to that aspect of umpiring and as you said earlier in this in this interview you talked about it being a lonely place um, umpiring could be a very lonely place for instance a bowler that has a bad attack and he goes to feel and he, he can relax a bit a batsman who's had a bad run is out and he's in the pavilion but an umpire who's having a bad game is still standing in the middle no matter what I, I personally have a mental coach uh, someone who has worked with Cricket West Indies these at the moment and together, we have gone through some rough patches, working through some rough patches, as well as using drills, techniques, things that I carry onto the field with me in order to keep me focused. Because, mm-hmm. Beverly, I'm sure you're aware, um, there's no, no person in the world could focus for more than about five to ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, are asked, we are asked to focus five or ten seconds uh, every five or ten seconds, if you know what I mean. Because, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. you, 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 go up, you go up and down in your concentration all day. Mm-hmm. But the difference, let's say, between a, being a football referee and a cricket umpire is that a football referee can tell as Messi is dribbling into the penalty box, something might happen here. Somebody might stab a leg in and they might trip him over. So let's let's keep an eye out. Right. When a bowler turns at the top of his mark and runs into a batsman, we don't know if that's the ball that's going to dismiss him or if that's the ball that he's going to hit for four. Mm-hmm. So our concentration is extremely important and we I work on that a lot. I also have an app that I've been working with for, let's say, the last year and a half called Headspace. You might be aware of it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And together, together every day, through you know, soothing mind, doing the 
uh, looking at different and stuff that would keep me, you know, especially in this time of COVID, uh, more more relaxed mentally and so on. Right. So I take care of my mental game. It's very, very important. Uh, from a physical standpoint, I, I have a physical trainer. He's the second one I've had since I've started umpiring. I had to change about six months to a year ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, we work very hard on, on my physical um, well-being as far as um, building muscle, building uh, endurance, you know, um, you know, building stamina and so on. Because part of umpiring is standing for long periods. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're doing a test match and the test match goes to five days you would have gone through probably plus five, 500 plus overs. And over is six balls, you say, not mm-hmm. a huge, but over is six balls if nothing goes wrong as far as the bowler is concerned. Mm-hmm. So it's a, let's say about 500 balls, can, can, uh, 500 overs, sorry, can go through a test match. So things like your back, your legs, you know, uh, your posture and so on, all that needs to be worked on. And together with the physical trainer, we work on that. Um, I do a lot of work on my cardio and so on uh, to build endurance to build fitness and so on and all of that is done in a package and a plan that is put forward to ICC every year mm-hmm. so every year I must put forward a plan as to how I'm going to work on myself and what I'm going to do and I have an umpire's coach who operates in Australia but he he's a very good coach mm-hmm. and together we examine it as often as we have what gaps we can fill and how we can improve consistently so there's a number of things done there, as well as with the coach, we practice a lot. We do a lot of scenarios. So you asked the question earlier, uh, how do we prepare? Mm-hmm. Well, for example, the television and the technology that's involved in television, we practice a lot on that. I, I find, you know, I find it so fascinating because, you know, every profession has the skills required and the discipline um, the, and certain principles that need to be followed. And a lot of times, sometimes I think we don't appreciate the fact that every profession um, has its own its own pinnacles of success and its own jargon. So this is very um, enlightening for me. Along the way, what would you say were two major constraints that you had to address on your journey, and how did you address them? Um constraints um well to start with beverly i think um the pathway uh, that's developed um that we have to sit and, and walk walk through um is extremely challenging and requires a lot of patience and i think as a result we in the west indies in particular may have lost a lot of great umpires in the past who have not had the patience so one of the first constraints, I think, is that part we getting from your zone to becoming an elite umpire. It, it is such, as I told you before, 25 years is a long time mm-hmm. uh, to devote umpiring, not being at the top level. Um, what I did do was to take it in small bites and uh, take the success as it, as it was coming, um, not knowing when it would end. Uh, so in fact, if my umpiring friends around me, we all kind of, how you want to call it, shook hands on it and say, listen, let's enjoy what umpiring brings and the journey that it takes us on. So we were taking it in small bites and not looking at this entire career path as, as, it, as something, you know, um, like a mountain that had to be, we had to overcome. Right. Um, so as a result of that, I, I felt that helped me in relation to, to understanding that career path and, and how it took. And then 
then coming into uh, international cricket, um, getting used now to the technology. Because you see, when you umpire cricket at the zonal level or in national level, or even at the regional level, the technology is limited or in most cases doesn't exist at all. So that when you make a decision, it's not scrutinized by the cameras and so on. But in international cricket, uh, there are about 26 cameras. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Two cameras devoted to the two match officials on the field. I'll just tell you how much cameras they have. Wow. Then, then there's, there's noise technology uh, called uh, Ultra Edge, for instance, that can mm-hmm. pick up the faintest of touches. So something that may have not been a part of the game, let's say 25 years ago, a guy playing outside the Austin, getting a faint touch. Nobody hears, probably just the wicketkeeper. He appeals, you say not out. Nobody knows whether that decision is right or wrong. Um, has now gone away from the game. Now we can analyze almost anything that happens in the game. And it takes a little bit of getting used to. Right. Because you arrive mm-hmm. at that level of the cricket, giving your decisions, living with... Uh, thinking that they're good decisions, living with them and so on. And then here comes this all this technology to expose the little things that you yourself don't understand, but the game at that level understands that. And they're very forgiving at that level. Mm-hmm. So but but when you walk into that level, Beverly, you don't you don't feel you feel like the world is giving every every time. Right. Every time you get one wrong, mm-hmm. you feel like the world is giving in and you know uh, you know, this is going to be the end of it. It's going to finish today and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So so I think what, what happened then was um, to overcome that, I started to um, embrace my umpire's coach a little more right. and then started to work with him in relation to the understanding of the technology and so on, better understand the technology and understand that there are some decisions that are just beyond you. You see, in cricket, cricket is a game that um, can defeat everyone who plays the game. Because if, if a batsman was never to get out, then he would average a million. <laughs> he, you know, he will never get out. Right. Then if a bowler, if a bowler was to always take a wicket every ball he bowled, his his career averages would be gorgeous. And then we'd have no runs. Mm-hmm. And then if, if a fielder was to take every catch, you know, and that kind of stuff, then they would be, you know. So what we need to understand as match officials, as umpires standing in the middle, they are going to be deliveries that are going to be better than us. Right. And we, we are just not going to know what happened. Because we are human, are we using our eyes? Yes. You know, um, the, the frames per second in relation to the camera, their, their camera with 30 and 40 frames per second and 70 frames per second that are much quicker than us right. and can pick up everything. But we, we can't, we, no, we, we stand no chance sometimes. It was that understanding uh, after my early days in international cricket that started to allow me to more, become more relaxed at that level and mm-hmm. live with some of the outcomes not all your outcomes were going to be great. You know, not all your mm-hmm. outcomes are going to be in your favor and that kind of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think those two were the, were the most challenging for me. The career part and how long it takes, particularly for West Indian umpires, and uh, the technology in international cricket on, its, on your introduction to it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, if I could just, that's why I think now we do, what we're doing now mm-hmm. is inviting the younger umpires to become used to it even when they're not there yet. Ah, you know, so that okay. when they when mm-hmm. they when they when they when they do wet their feet into international cricket, it's not, you know, a big surprise to them. You know, they, they, so we, we kind of gradually bring it into them. We bring it on into training and stuff, so that they become a lot more accustomed to. It. Right. Yeah. Because technology is definitely here to stay, 
And, it is. Um, it is. And it's getting better and better. It's it getting is. Better and better. It is. Especially in our sport, it is amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, with things like and it's good, AI. It's and good stuff. for the game. Yeah, it's good for the game as well. It's good. It's good mm-hmm. for the game. Um, it, it brings a kind of a finality to the game. Brings an end to all the argument. Let's say. Right. You know, it, it's either you're wrong or right, and I'm not saying technology is perfect. Mm-hmm. But it, it 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 finishes the argument, and and so for instance, the games that I will still do at the Queen's Park Savannah, which is a club cricket in Trinidad, mm-hmm. uh, that starts at one two in the afternoon and finishes at six o'clock. Uh, we we can argue all the time. He did it. He hit it. I I heard it. You didn't hear it. He's out or whatever. We can argue that forever. Right. Um, but when we go to international cricket and and England is playing India, let's say or Australia is playing India, as, as will happen tonight. In, in Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. um, the arguments are going to be put to bed immediately, whether you hit it or not. So you move on to another discussion. You move on one time. Yeah, move on. Okay, very interesting. That whole technology, it just touches everything and every, it's everywhere. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you say um, your strengths, um, if you had to name a strength that has helped you so far on your, you know, what would you say that strength is? Well, to start with Beverly, I would consider myself an, an, an ultimate team man. Uh-huh. You know, I want to see the team succeed. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's an individual. I don't think umpiring. Some people believe umpiring to be an individual thing. Right. I don't share that view. Yes, we have individual decisions to make. Mm-hmm. But as a team, I want the team to do well. And that this has been with me all my days. So for instance, at the Savannah, if one umpire has a bad game, they are not going to leave the ground saying, well, it was Harry. Harry had a really poor game. They're going to say, those guys, those guys were terrible. Forgetting right. that the guy at the other end who was pretty good, the guy at the other end <laughs> might have been pretty good. Yeah. But because they have had some bad decisions or some decisions that they viewed were not correct, they would then say, well, listen, you know, the umpiring was bad. So from earlier clock, I picked up that this is, this is the third team in cricket. And together, we have to work hard as a group in order to overcome and succeed as a group. And mm-hmm. all my life, right through into regional cricket, into uh, international, into test cricket now, and I'm of the elite, I truly believe in that. So I think my team working skills um, is my, probably my number one strength. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what also I think is working for me is my strength as an individual, believing in yourself, a kind of measured self-confidence. Not the one that takes you over the top and feel if you could conquer, conquer the world, mm-hmm. but the ones that make you stand in the middle there even when things have gone bad. Because the thing with international cricket, when it's not going well, uh, the world descends on you. Hmm. And they, they forget that you've had, you've had a great year before and so on. So as an example, uh, one of the Ashes matches in 2019 did not go great. Right. Um, a test, one of the test matches. And as a result of that, they all you know, the media uh, murdered myself. Mm-hmm. However, um, just a month before that, I had gone through an entire World Cup, which spanned, which took about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And me doing, me doing something like 10 matches or so uh, with only two errors. Mm. And you, you had no, there was no notice of you because umpiring is a funny thing, Beverly. It doesn't, we don't acknowledge too much of great performances. <laughs> we very rarely do that. But what we do is we pick out the bad performance. Right. So what you need as a match official, I feel, is a kind of measured self-confidence where you stand there and tell yourself, 
it wasn't your fault or you're good enough. You're good enough to be here. You know, so you're talking to yourself and if you're not confident, if the person who's talking, if self is talking to self and self is not confident, then self is breathing harm into self. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, mm-hmm. I learned again from early that one of the things that you have to have is a kind of measured self-confidence that you are capable of doing this job and you've done it before and you're doing it well. There are going to be rough moments, but you know, that's, that's part of the job. So I would say teamwork and measured self-confidence uh, are things that I've taken with me throughout the journey. And I think they've worked really, really well. Right. Yeah. Teamwork and measured self-confidence. I like that because at the end of the day, you know, when you talk about people, you talking to self, people don't understand how very harmful negative self-talk is. And negative self-talk can can murder you. Yeah. You know, so you don't want to go down that. You can't, you can't be against you and the world is also against you. That is, that is suicide, actually. That, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Here. No. And then no. your biggest fan, your biggest fan should be yourself. Should be. Your biggest fan should be yourself. Yeah, you should, you should be walking off because if you allow me, I went to a program mm-hmm. put on by Leroy Clark maybe right. 25 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, 30 years ago. I can't remember the exact date. But what stood out with me of that was that he was saying that in some professions, you must hear your own applause. Mm. He said, you, you, the, the, the crowd is not going to be, in certain professions, and I view cricket as one of those, Right. Uh, the crowd is not going to acknowledge that you, you had an outstanding game. Nobody's, mm-hmm. Nobody does that. Uh, you, you are not, you're not called on a podium after the match and given a medal <laughs> for getting all your decisions right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, ex, the expectation is that you have to get them right. Right. Forgetting that you're human. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you are not going to hear any applause. And, I take with Leroy Clark what, what was, you know, that, that was from Leroy Clark with me. Uh, remembering a match that I did uh, probably just under a year ago where I made an error with the very last ball of the match, a match that went five days. Mm-hmm. I made an error on the very last ball of the match. But when I reflected, of course, being very upset, when I reflected on the performance over the five days, let's say a day or two after, mm-hmm. I was saying, you had an outstanding game. You had more than a hundred appeals and you got one wrong to end the game. There was one earlier in the game, but that was it. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you got nine, let's say, let's say you got in that game, I got 94% based on the percentages, but um, let's say you were to call home from a maths exam mm-hmm. in the university and say, mommy, <laughs> I got 94%. We'd be celebrating that, wouldn't we, Beverly? Yes, we would. <laughs> we, we, we would we, definitely we, we be have, celebrating we, that. We, We'll be having a party, you know, if you were doing a science project and you got 94%, you're having a party. But the thing with comparing is that if you're not careful, some people say, well, you see, that's why you didn't get 100 because this happened and that happened. Because the expectation is that you get 100 every time you go. Every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really, it's, you know, and, and what you said there with the um, statement from Leroy Clark that, you know, you have to hear your own applause. That is so powerful i think because it i like, like uh, it's very very powerful because if you're waiting out there you're waiting on someone out there to tell you something then you might wait in vain it might never yeah. it will never <laughs> it come never happen it will never happen so <laughs> exactly yeah. it, may never happen, yeah. <laughs> it may never happen so you need to yeah you need to know and you need to have that measured self-confidence now 
yeah. Joel, when you are making important decisions, as you would have had many to make along the way, how would you say you tune into yourself? Um, some people believe that, you know, they use their head. Some say they use their heart. Some say they use their gut. Some use all, all three. Um, how do you make your important decisions? Well, in my world, Beverly, every decision is important. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, no, there's no important decision because you might view it as not important to you because let's say as an example, mm-hmm. the game might be finishing and the team is about to lose the match whether they take a wicket or not. There's probably one run to win the match and then there's a huge appeal for, let's say, LBW. Mm-hmm. And you get that wrong. The bowler is upset because he's now saying, well, you know, my stats are now affected. Um, that wicket would have put me probably in line to be selected in another match. So every decision in cricket is viewed as an important decision. Mm-hmm. And how, how I would answer this question is to say that I try to go through a systematic decision-making process in my mind. Right. Um, in cricket umpiring, the, the, probably the most difficult decision to be made is an LBW decision. And as a friend of mine in umpiring told me, he said, he, he's also a member of the elite panel, he said, it's the only sport in the world that with that decision, we are not absolutely sure. Nobody knows what was going to happen because part of uh, the LBW decision is for you to determine whether you think that ball would have gone on to hit the stumps right. had the guy not put his leg in front. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, nobody knows for sure, for a fact, whether it was it will actually hit these stumps because it never hits the stumps. Yeah. <laughs> it hit his leg. Mm-hmm. So it is, it, is, it is one of those decisions that people measure your umpiring by. So hmm. with me, I go through a kind of process in my mind as quickly as I can possibly to determine whether this is out or not out. No, sometimes you get it wrong and sometimes you get it right. But I would say, first of all, you trust your instinct. All right. right, because the instinct will tell you that he didn't hit it. Mm-hmm. It has hit the pad first. Uh, based on where it has hit the pad, it looks like it's going to go on to hit the stumps. The ball also tells a story after it has left the pad. So after it has impacted the pad, it tells a story based on where it goes. You know, mm-hmm. so for instance, if it goes way down, way down behind him, so if the ball hits his pad and goes behind the batsman, there's a chance that it was going in that direction all the time. Right. The pad just, you know, so there's a strong chance that it may not hit the stumps. Mm-hmm. And if it comes back in front of him and it comes back fairly straight, there's a chance that this would have gone on to hit the stumps. Now, we have technology that plots graph to determine whether they think it's going to hit the stumps or not, and they decide thereafter. Right. Uh, part of our decision making process. Mm-hmm. But what I do is try to trust my instincts first. Then you try to trust the skills that you have, your listening skills. You know, you try to pick up all the little clues that are around you quickly right. enough mm-hmm. so that you can now determine. And in the end, uh, you trust what you've seen based on your gut that this, that everything is in line here to give him out or everything is in line to give him not out. Right. So yeah. I think it's a combination, as mm-hmm. you, you suggested. Mm-hmm. And I'm using that, that decision as an example. Now, there are other decisions that we have to give uh, let's say a court behind where you can actually use the skills of you listening, the movement of the ball and so on after it has passed the bat and that kind of stuff to determine, you know, whether this player is out court or not out mm-hmm. uh, court. Mm-hmm. So then depending on the decision, you would have to 
use some different skills. But with LBW, your instinct, your gut, and the clues that you can pick up around you, I would say, are the important parts of helping you make that particular decision. Yes, I hear you. And that is always controversial. I mean, that much I know. <laughs> that much I know. Well, 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 it lives, it lives, it lives that way. It lives that yeah, way. it looks that way. It, it, I think, it, it, to be honest, Beverly, I think it mm-hmm. makes the game exciting because I think outside, <laughs> outside of that, you know, I think the game to be quite boring. <laughs> everybody comes running from wherever they are when an LBW show if it's watching it on television they come running from all parts of the house yeah. and as they say they all make a judgment call that's all that's, that's all mm-hmm. why did he give that why did he give that yeah it's a great <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. great conversation um, you know it's a great conversation continuous oh, starter it's, 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 yeah it's, yeah, it's yeah, great it's great yeah, for that it is, yeah. it's great for that now if, if you have a, there's a young person coming up and um, what advice would you give to a young person who might be unsure of which part to follow? Um, you know, they're looking around and they just don't know, you know, based on your experience, what sort of advice would you give to a young person? Well, well first of all, I would, the young person has to be clear in their mind that they want to do this. Um, mm-hmm. You said earlier in this interview, and it's probably because you have an umpire home with you, it's a lonely <laughs> world. Mm-hmm. And at the international level, it, it can even be more lonely uh, yeah. because international umpires travel a lot. So we spend yeah. long hours on planes, we spend long hours in airports, we spend long hours in hotels and so on. And sometimes we're teammates. And if you're a good team man, then you're, you're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes we are alone and, um, you know, you, you, that, that loneliness can, can sometimes get to you. So you have to be first fixing your mind, understand what you want to achieve and know that it's going to be a long road ahead. It's, it's not going to be an easy road. It's going to be long. Mm-hmm. So you also have to have patience as well, Beverly, in relation to overcoming some of the little obstacles that every sport would present, uh, particularly cricket, would put in front of you for you to climb over. Mm. Um, so you have to be patient you also have to work on yourself you you cannot allow your mind to uh, deteriorate or to to go into the direction of a negative kind of mindset you always have to have the positive mindset a kind of growth mindset you must have mm-hmm. and in that you must work on your mental game as I said in this interview I think the mental game is for me the most important game of all and you must find ways to work on that, work on building your mental strength. Your physical is very, very important because if your body gives way, then your mind is going to give. And standing for long hours, we don't get any rest. We don't win the toss and decide we're going to sit down and watch cricket play. Um, we don't get time off uh, when things are not going great. Uh, there's no replacement coming for us unless we're injured and so on. So we stand there and we concentrate for long hours. Now, the standing in itself can put a lot of strain on your body, your back. In 2017, I had a serious back injury coming out of Sri Lanka. Okay. And for some good work done by uh, some physiotherapists here at Cricket West Indies and, you know, my trainer and so on, I was able to overcome that. And in fact, I do a lot of things like yoga and stuff now mm-hmm. in order to keep the back in that, you know, to keep the back uh, uh, in Strong. shape. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, yeah, I'm just saying that your physical is also extremely important. You must work on that from very early in your career. Mm-hmm. So you can't wait until you say, well, okay, I'm going to wait until I'm, I'm into my 40s, maybe into my 50s, and then decide to work on your body. It's going to be too late. You've mm-hmm. got to work on your body and your body 
I'm not saying that you have specifically to work like an athlete, but mm-hmm. you have to have that kind of mindset. You have to kind of have a player mindset when you're doing your physicals and so on, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that you get your body in best shape possible uh, in order to achieve success. Once you have all those things in place, Beverly, you then have to, to take advantage of every opportunity that's presented to you because cricket umpiring can present opportunities. And if you miss those opportunities, sometimes it could be costly for you because of the amount of individuals involved in umpiring across the world mm-hmm. who are all vying for that, you know, that one spot on the elite panel. Right. So that's the advice I would give a young person if they're thinking about it now. Mm-hmm. But to say it, it can be extremely rewarding it can be also extremely satisfying if you take Leroy Clark's advice. Mm-hmm. You can feel the comfort within you when you've had a great game, when you've had a great series, you know, when you've had a great patch and so on. When you, even when you're not having a great patch, you are able to analyze or evaluate yourself very fair you know, in relation to how some others might be unfair in their evaluation of you. I hear you. And I, and I think that the advice you've given there is, is not just for cricket for a young person. I think patience is something that in every career path, um, even as a business person, <laughs> you know, it is something that is a very valuable asset. And having patience, you know, being in it for the long game rather rather than for the short, short wins, you know, and being, and preparing yourself, I just say, the mental, the physical, um, all the levels really, spiritual, social, it's critical because everything is, everything is connected, you know, and um, what yeah, you said. What, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. yeah, everything is connected. And what you said there about, you know, your strength as a team player, um, I have never th- thought of umpiring as a team but when it is now I, I think about the fact that the umpire is not standing up out there it's not just one there's also the match referees and I mean you know so it's really yeah, yeah. well yeah. At, a, at an international game at an international game mm-hmm. their television there are two guys on the field there's, yeah. there's a guy mm-hmm. watching television who's who's talking to us let's say I'm on the field He's mm-hmm. talking to us all throughout the game in diff- for different aspects, giving us different kind of information. And then there's a fourth umpire on the ground, beyond the boundary, who is mm-hmm. lending support in relation to whether you need drinks, whether um, you need something from a particular uh, background to be moved, or whether somebody's delaying the game, whether you need some information sent quickly to the teams and so on. And then, of course, there's the match referee. So there are five match officials in an international game. Oh. And, and just as an example of the teamwork and how it can work, mm-hmm. not to give away too much of what we do, mm-hmm. but for instance, when one umpire is closer to the action, let's say, so let's say the guy is out where we call what is called the strikers and umpire. So he's out in the field a little bit mm-hmm. and the guy is at the bowler's end. The guy at the bowler's end may not hear, let's say, a particular nick of the bat. The guy in the field could, is probably a little closer to the action, so he's actually hearing it. Right. There are signals that we work on, Beverly, where we look across to one another, just using our eyes mm-hmm. to see if you heard anything that I didn't hear. And you, he can tell you, well, yeah, I heard something. And then you can, based on that information, remember I told you about clues. Yes. Based on that clue coming from your, from your colleague now, who's a team member of yours, you can trust him 
and trust that he's giving you the correct information and together you are going to get a decision correct. Right. Right. Where you, if you were standing there alone and you didn't hear anything, you say, well, I have to make the decision based on what I've heard. Mm-hmm. But my colleague has heard something. He's helping me. I may have heard something faint. He's heard it a lot better. He's certain that it's come off the bat. He's telling me, yes, Joe, I'm telling you it's off the bat. We can get our decision correct. So the team can come together as a team to make it work. And then the TV guy can be giving you information that he's watching on TV, things that are picking up, whether they be angles, whether they be behavioral issues with players. You know, so he's keeping an eye on the, he's like what I will consider the eagle then. You know, he's in the control room. Right. He's, he's looking, he's surveying the field and giving you feedback on things that you would normally be able to get feedback on. Mm-hmm. You know, so he might have seen where the bowler is coming close to overstepping on the pop increase. So he's telling you, keep a closer eye there. That guy's getting a lot closer. You know, he's running close to you. You know, things that will help you in your decision making going forward. And then, of course, you have the guy in the boundary who is taking all the burden off your back in relation to informing teams or maybe somebody didn't turn a, a screen on, on a bugging a player. And simple things that are bringing you water, towel, you know, giving support from the boundary edge and so on. Mm-hmm. So once the team is in, in sync, you're going to have a beautiful match. And, you know, and those guys are, are going to be supporting whether you, you, know, you make errors or you don't. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I like I like that idea because I've never as I say, I never thought about it as a as a team. Um I uh, yeah, so that's this is very um what should I say, illuminating for me. Um yeah. to, to a different perspective. And I always well, I always uh, as you said earlier, as you said earlier, sorry to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. you said you you're not a great cricket fan, you're not a mm-hmm. uh, avid cricket fan. So you know, I tried in the interview here to to try to see if I can probably make you into a great <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, I still have a ways to go, you know, getting up all hours, all hours of the, the, in the morning to get up to watch a match. I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> but I, I don't try to understand anymore. I just say, okay, that's just how it is. <laughs> you know, I know, I know where he's going. He's going, you know, downstairs. And he's going to watch the television. So it's not like if I don't know. So it's like, okay, everybody has their thing, you know? And yeah. I love to see the excitement. I just find it, the excitement is very contagious. You know? Well, I mean, cricket is a, a game that has have, um, deep roots here in the West Indies. Um, you know, um, we can go way back to these days of slavery mm-hmm. and what cricket did to, to you know, help, help in those difficult times. And um, in fact, when I started to look at cricket uh, in the early 70s, into the 80s and so on, um, you could tell that the guys who played in that era, not saying there's anything wrong with the guys now, but the guys who played in that era played more out of passion, more out of the understanding of where this game has come from and what it has done for Western, the, the West Indian population and probably will the world cricket and population. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, how much it means to persons, especially across the West Indies. I mean, if, if you see the passion in the crowd and so on, when things are going great. Yes. Um, and you hear how they curse you when things are not. <laughs> um, you understand how uh, uh, people feel about cricket and how, you know, how important it is to the fabric of our West Indian society. Yeah, I think, I think you know, it is a great, I always... I always think about David Rudder's song, Rally, 
around the West Indies because, I mean, it really, as a sport, you know, it's 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 a whole Caribbean, the West Indian team is made up of all of us in the Caribbean. And well, it's the only game. Is the only game is that it, I'm yes, aware of. Is, yeah, yeah, we it, have a, yeah well, every West Indian has an opportunity to have a, be a part of one team. Yes. Yeah. There's no other and, game here. No, and that is that is powerful. You know, whatever yeah, yeah. whatever people might disagree, the point is that it is a powerful thing to be able to do that, um, come together, and perform. You know, um, that is that is a very powerful statement that we make every time we as a Caribbean Caribbean people go out and, and do that. I mean, that I see it as a very unifying, uh, very unifying force, Perkett. And I agree, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, very unifying force. All right, Joel, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just to just in closing. Persons who may not understand truly what umpiring is all about. Um, umpiring is really a management skill. Uh, it's, it's the ability for persons to manage a cricket game to its conclusion, wherever their conclusion leads us. So it's not only about decisions uh, as to whether you're out or not out, but it involves um, managing humans, managing persons, managing players, uh, uh, making sure that behaviors are, are of a certain standard you know, uh, teamwork, as I talked about earlier, you know, so there are a number of other variables involved in umpiring that makes a person uh, a good umpire. So yes, there may be a, a guy who makes an, an odd error in a decision and so on, and people may say, well, he's not a good umpire, but you have to look at his management skills. Is he managing the game? Uh, are players uh, respecting him? You know, uh, is the game out of control and stuff like that. So don't just look at umpiring from the aspect of ins and outs, as we say, not outs or outs and so on. Don't measure it only from that aspect. Measure it from the aspect where the person is really managing that particular match, that particular series from start to beginning as a, as a manager would do, let's say, in an office where he has mm-hmm. a staff or let's say a manager of a particular football team or cricket team, how he manages the group of individuals. That's the role that the two match officials play out here. And in the case of international cricket, all four of them acting in, in one to ensure that the match is, you know, played in the true spirit. And before you come back in, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity. I mean, we don't get much opportunities as match officials to tell the world, you know, about our job and, you know, uh, what we like about it, what we'd like to see improve. And I'd like to thank you for the opportunity this evening given to me to, to express some of those views. Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I enjoyed it thoroughly because, you know, I am fascinated. I am a something I would call myself a lunaholic. So I am always very enthused to learn about new areas and even to see things with a new perspective so that it was it was very, very informative. And I love... I love to hear the passion uh, in your voice when you speak about it, you know, that you really and truly enjoy uh, what it is you do. So thank you so much for being a part of this program. Yeah. Okay, Beverly. It was nice being here. Okay. You take care. Thanks. In this episode, we looked at the importance of having patience on your journey. 
and also the need for both mental and physical strength in order to be able to take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. We also noted that in some professions, you must hear your own applause. Please like, comment and share and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Tune In To Yourself.